0: Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but he is strong. I'm Kevin Biltman, your host and recovering burnt-out pastor who's here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine. And you're listening to a song that we listened to yesterday, kind of our theme song. It was written uh, uh, to, you know, help us think about our daily walk with God and what we can do about that and how we desire to... um, to be with him. But anyway, normally on Tuesdays, we'll be hearing from Rob Morosco from Wisconsin. But today, he's on a mission trip with a few others to lead a marriage workshop for the church leaders in Tanzania. So today, we will hear from Ben Spaulding, preaching from Texas. And as he explains to us about the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13, his sermon is called Birds, Rocks, and Thorns. And he connects these to are deception, disillusionment and disordered desires. And be sure to listen to the end of the podcast. It's a new song that a friend of mine sent me and she's just an incredible songwriter and singer.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And, Lord, we ask for many things today. But, Lord, we, today, right now, right here, we ask for your peace. Your peace to descend upon us. Your peace to go deep into our hearts. Like an anchor to hold us secure in times of opposition, resistance, and rejection in this life we face. Lord, let your peace overwhelm us surpass all understanding. Let your peace guard us and remind us of your presence in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly. Lord, let your peace percolate in our souls, increasing understanding of your purposes and power in our lives. Lord, let this peace now descend and increase in our hearts, clearer away, Lord, distractions from us as we hear your word and as we contemplate it, and Lord, may it produce fruit in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus is at work. He's at work in your life, in spite of the rejections, in spite of the oppositions, in spite of the resistance we at times face. Amen? Amen? I know we're Lutheran, come on, amen? amen. There you go, there you go. And we faced them. There's tension in the, in the Christian life. And You think about seed and planting seed. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and all you wanted to do was maybe impart a little godly wisdom? Maybe you wanted just to impart a little hope Maybe you just wanted to impart a little grace, some mercy, some truth in their lives, and you were just met with rejection. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want to hear about this gospel. I don't want to hear about this wisdom, this good news. And it just put a pit in your stomach, and you just felt like, man, I don't know if I want to have this kind of conversation again. It's awkward. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. And you just had this aura of rejection. From the conversation. Maybe you were up late at night just in your bed and you were deeply disillusioned. You found yourself asking God, Lord if I'm following you why does it feel so empty sometimes? Why do I feel so lonely? Why do I feel so depressed maybe? Or why have I just felt so so distant? And in that night, you were just so disillusioned because maybe you felt like Jesus was holding out on you. Maybe you felt like it was going to be like this, beautiful, good, and it just felt ugly and empty, being faithful to the things and the ways of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you woke up one day, and you just felt like, man, I've been caring way too much about this thing that has to do with the world and has really little to do with heaven or the things of God. And man, I just feel a little distant from God's good purposes and his kingdom and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his ways and his purposes. I just feel distant. I feel like I'm so wrapped up in the cares of this world. Have you ever felt any of those things before? Welcome to the tension of this parable. And I think we all have. Uh, We get into the tension, the paradox, if you will, of the parable of the sower. Paradox, just a refresher, is when two things are both true, but they oppose each other. It seems like they don't mesh, and yet we hold them in tension with one another. Uh, God is the good sower. He's abundant. He's gracious. He's good. Uh, And his word is powerful, it's patient, it's persistent, it will accomplish what God has purposed it to do. It can kill, it can bring about new life in a heart made of stone, and yet at the same time, the word of God can be opposed, the word of God can be resisted, and the word of God can be rejected. And this is the reality Jesus lays out in the scriptures and in this parable. And I want to share a short caveat before we get into the unfruitful ground this morning. There's two things that I think can really mislead us as we contemplate this part of the parable. Two things. I think, number one, I think we can develop a really unhealthy obsession with this parable. We can constantly ask, which ground am I? Am I the ground that falls on the on uh, the uh, shallow ground, the rocky ground? Am I one who's going to hear the word, receive it with joy? And am I going to fall away when trouble comes? Am I the one who gets deceived? Do I even understand the word at all? Am I the one where the cares of the world end up suffocating my faith? And we start looking at our lives, and we start looking at our fruit. How good have I done? How bad have I done? And ultimately, it's unhealthy and misleading because the focus starts leaving Christ and the focus starts getting put back on us. How well have I done? And salvation becomes again a human project, when really, salvation leads our eyes and our hearts' focus on Christ, His promises, His power at work within us. You see, the key ingredient to the parable of the sower, we mentioned it last Sunday, is what you believe about the sower and his good seed changes everything. God is good, he's gracious, he's abundant, his seed is powerful and it's persistent and it's at work, it's active and living in your life today to bring you closer to Jesus, to understand the salvation he's won for you, to bring you into the kingdom. You've been baptized into his name and so that word is at work in your life even now. And it has produced fruit, and it will produce fruit. More on that next Sunday with Pastor John. But as long as the day is today, so Christ's promises and purposes for you are true. And the invitation is always the same. Come to me, all you are heavy laden, all you who are striving, and I will give you rest. Trust in me. Follow me. But then there's a second misleading thing that can take place when we read this portion of the parable, and that said doesn't apply to me. Once saved, always saved, and so I can just overlook these parts of the parable, and that's not necessarily true either. We don't teach once saved, always saved. As sad and as tragic as it is, apostasy is real. Uh, People can walk away. You can reject Christ. And usually it doesn't happen overnight. Usually it's a series of small compromises that lead to an awful day where you can walk away and deny Jesus as Savior. And so there's some sobriety and there's some awareness that Jesus wants to raise within us through this parable. Not to develop an unhealthy obsession, but also... To help raise our awareness, make us sober, that there's some real threats out there for the Christian today. So with that, I have three words that are going to help us process uh, the three types of unfruitful ground that Jesus goes through. We have deception. We have disillusionment. And we have disordered desires. Okay? So we have deceptions. Uh, The first ground, Jesus says, it falls along the path. The seed, the word of God, falls, and it does not go into the ground. Uh, The birds come, and they snatch the word of God away. Jesus says, these are those who hear the word about the kingdom. They don't understand it, so Satan comes, and he snatches what's been sown in their hearts. As Pastor John might say, think about a little seed, and you toss it, and you try to plant something in someone's heart, but it just bounces right off. ...they don't want to hear it. Doesn't apply to me. I, I don't care. Maybe they don't understand uh, what, who God is... ...or they don't understand the gospel... ...or they don't want to understand... ...and so they don't take the time to contemplate the word... ...they don't take the time to contemplate the gospel. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says the cross is folly to a lot of people. For some people who demand wisdom in this life... ...the cross seems like foolishness. For some who demand power in this life... The cross looks like weakness. You guys follow a man who was crucified to a tree? That doesn't sound right to me. If he's so powerful, why didn't he just snap his fingers and make all the evil of this world go away? Why the cross? Why suffering? And so people don't take time to contemplate, to digest the message, the depth, the love of the cross, the message of the kingdom. But where there's misunderstanding and rejection, Satan is close at hand, and Satan is a deceiver. He snatches with his lies. He snatches through deception. You think about the garden uh, in Adam and Eve. You think about God saying, Adam, Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. What does Satan do? He comes in and deceives them about who God is, who they are, and what is Satan wanting to do? Jesus says he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He wants to cause spiritual death to take place in Adam and Eve's life. Peter says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he devours through deception. And we see his deceptions in our culture today. There's deceptions about many things. Deception about freedom. Freedom being that you can... Really do whatever you feel is best. You don't need God, you don't need his rules, you don't need the Bible, you don't need anybody. Just look within yourself, follow what you think is best. That's really what it means to be free. But that just results in new forms of bondage and spiritual slavery. There's deception about goodness. Just try your best. God will accept you if you just live your best life. If you just try hard enough, then God will finally love you, and that's a burden many people suffer with throughout their lives. There's deceptions all over the place. And while this first ground doesn't necessarily apply to us, you're here, the word is doing its work in your life, it's good for us to be aware that Satan prowls, Satan is a deceiver, and as the church, we're called to engage for the sake of those walking in darkness with the truth of God's word. So while the first ground necessarily isn't about us, the next two hit a little closer maybe to home. Uh, The second word is not deception but disillusionment. Lord, I thought it was going to be like this when when you showed me, when you gave me the vision of what the life looks like following you. I thought it was going to be beautiful. I thought it was going to be good. Why do the righteous suffer? Why is it sometimes hard? Why does it sometimes demand sacrifice? Jesus says there's some seeds that are planted and they're on rocky rocky ground, so they hear the word of God. They receive it with immediate joy and happiness in their hearts, but troubles come, persecution comes on account of the word, and their faith ends up withering because they become disillusioned thought it was going to be like this Lord why is it like this when the crossroads of following Jesus come into play when we find ourselves ostracized when we find ourselves persecuted when we find ourselves isolated when we find ourselves called to deny ourselves and crucify the sinful flesh and follow Jesus some fall away therapeutic western Christianity is dangerous folks It's dangerous. The idea that God is great, God is good, but really, God is just an instrument, God is just a means to fulfill my personal happiness plan, my personal self-fulfillment project. God is real, he exists, and I'll call upon him when I may be in trouble. He's ruling and reigning on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, those days belong to me. God doesn't really care about how I'm spending my week. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be fulfilled. And I tell you, this teaching, as popular as it is, cannot stomach suffering. So when the chips are down, and the cancer diagnosis comes, and you believe that God wants me to be happy above all things instead of God wants me to be holy above all things. It's like building a house on sand. Sand, the storms come, and they rage, but the house falls because the foundation is not sturdy. And so when we find ourselves losing out big time in this life for following Jesus and suffering and struggling, if you put your faith in a feeling of happiness, and fulfillment, there is a threat for that word to wither and die. For Christ comes and invites us to count the cost, to follow Him, and understand that the Christian life is taking the shape of a cross where at times we do lose out and at times we do suffer and struggle, but that in all things, Christ is still at work, and he calls us to cling to him in all things. And lastly, disordered desires. Jesus says, some seed fall, and they take root, and they grow, and it's great. But then thorns rise up, and they attack, and they suffocate, And Jesus says these are those who hear and they endure for a while, but the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world come up like thorns and ends up suffocating the word and it proves to be unfruitful. Cares of the world. Disordered desires. We all have desires, don't we? And I'm not bashing those desires today. Uh, desires for either financial uh, financial security, uh, health and wealth for the family, uh, we want you know uh, to be loved and we want to be loving. We want goodness and beauty to, to reign in our lives. We want good things to take place for ourselves and for those we love. and those are good desires. But the problem is when those desires become disordered, when we start looking, to the things that God has given us as gifts, and we start to place them in a place, in a position in our lives that only God deserves. When we start looking to those things for our ultimate identity and our ultimate purpose and our ultimate meaning in this life, these things become godlike in our lives. These things become idols. And these desires, once good, become disordered. And secondary things become ultimate things in our lives, and they end up ruling and reigning over our fears, over our trust, over our ultimate love. And where God should be, these things tend to dethrone him idols, thorns, cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. I got a story for you uh, about disordered desires. It comes from C.S. Lewis in his book called The Great Divorce. Uh, It's a story, a fictional story, about a bus ride, a group of folks who are in hell. They get a chance to go and visit heaven. Uh, it's It's a great book, and while they're in heaven, they get a chance to actually choose to stay there. But there's a shock to the whole thing. The shock is that the majority of them do not choose to stay in heaven. They'd rather go back to hell because they despise the God who is ruling and reigning in heaven. There's a small story within this book about a mother, a woman who is in hell, and she gets a chance to go to heaven, and she wants to see her son, her son who is in heaven. And she's talking with her brother. He's like this spirit guide. And she's like, hey, you know, I want to see my son. This is great. Uh, And I just really have been missing him. And this is, you know, my day, and I really just want to see him again. It's been so long. And so the brother says, of course, of course you can stay here in heaven. You can stay here and and have your son. But first, first I need to take you to the Father. I need to take you to God. Because it's God who can restore you, It's God who can make you new and transform you. It's God who can right your wrongs. It's God who can rightly order your life and your desires. And then you can finally have your son. And then you will be beautiful and perfect. And everything will be right with your world. And you can stay with us for eternity. It will be great. I just first need to take you to see God. And what does the mother say? I don't care about that. I don't care about seeing God. I had no use for him on earth. I want to see my son. You see, I raised my son better than God ever could here on earth. In fact, my son is unhappy up here. He belongs down there with me. Mother knows best. And I love my son more than God ever could. Whoa! That got dark. So... (laughs) What is C.S. Lewis trying to accomplish there? The mother is aiming everything, everything at her son, her identity, her meaning, and her purpose. And she finds that her mother love, though pure and good in itself, that desire to be a good mom, ends up suffocating her like thorns. And she finds herself in hell. But the brother's invitation? The brother's invitation is aim your heart at heaven, aim your heart at God, and you will get your son as well. You'll get a right relationship with God and everyone you knew here on earth. But first you need to aim your heart at God. But she refuses. So what is C.S. Lewis getting at? Disordered desires. The cares of the world like thorns suffocating. Our faith we might say I'll never end up like her but that's exactly where the thorns lead us that's exactly where the cares of this world lead us when we take the things of this world and elevate them to God-like status and they're good things whether they be our children whether they be our money or work or the things that God is leading us to do all great things but when those things become idols when we use those things to control our lives and manipulate things, those are the things that end up controlling and manipulating and suffocating us. Don't you see there's a poison to idolatry? It's poison. Because it makes you think that you're in control, but it's those things you elevated that end up controlling you. But Jesus steps in. And what does he say? He says, if the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. Those who enslaved themselves to idols are enslaved by them, but if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. When we surrender the cures of the world, and when we surrender the thorns in our life to Jesus, and trust in his rule and reign, and trust that it's good, and trust that he's present and he's working in all things. That's when we experience the true freedom of the gospel and the power of the word at work in our lives. And the invitation is always the same. Come. Come and experience freedom from your thorns. Come and experience what I'm like, faithful and true to you. So what's a Christian to do? Deceptions in the world? Disordered desires at times? Disillusionment that we experience in our own stories? Resistance, opposition, rejection? What's a Christian to do? First, we go to the cross. And I'd just like to do that with you today, right now. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. I just want to to go to the cross with you really quick, okay? Because this is what we need to do each and every day. The Christian's life is filled with opposition, rejection, resistance. But the Christian's life is found in the shape of a cross. And when we go to the cross, what do we see? Imagine Jesus there. Thorns. (laughs) Thorns, a crown of thorns, on his head. On his head. The withered seed. Jesus, his body, withered from the suffering. Disillusioned disciples, they thought it was going to be one way, but here's their Messiah, nailed to a tree. There's disordered desires all around the cross. The disordered desires of evil men, raging and mocking the Son of God, deceived deeply by Satan. And yet, and yet there is the Father. Using the resistance, the opposition, The rejection of the world to pierce the kingdom of darkness with a blow so great that the kingdom of darkness will never recover again. You can open your eyes. Satan thought that the cross was his instrument of death that he was using to kill the Son of God. But it was Satan who found himself pierced by the cross. It was the power of sin raging in the hearts of men with disordered desires raging against Jesus. But it was the power of sin. (laughs) She's eager. It's okay. It's alright. It was the power of sin that found itself suffocated by the holy, precious, innocent blood of Jesus. Don't you see, when we go to the cross, we see God at work. In spite of the rejection and the opposition and the resistance we encounter in this world, we go no further than the cross, where we see the withered body of that good seed, the word made flesh, Jesus, and by his death, God undid the curse of the world. So we're good to encounter this stuff. Thorns and rocks, the enemy, the devil himself. And we're going to encounter discouragement and disillusionment and disordered desires. But where do we go in that day? We go to the cross where Jesus gave his all. And shows us once again, reminds us each and every day that God is still at work despite these things. And that word that's been planted in you is active and it's powerful and it will produce fruit. But first and foremost, it brings us to a cross and it brings us to an empty tomb the good soil where there is salvation to be had and freedom each and every day. And so we walk on that soil together. We plant and we water on that soil together. And we bear fruit on that soil together, knowing that Christ is for us and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is that word we speak. It is that word we live into each and every day, despite what we face, despite what we encounter in this world. So let's pray. Lord, it's your cross that awakens us to the reality that you're at work. You're still at work, Lord, when we're dealing with thorns that seek to suffocate faith, when we're dealing with disillusionment. When we're discouraged, Lord, when we're trying to plant the word with someone, it just seems to bounce off. And it just seems like the enemy has the upper hand at times. Lord, in that moment, May we go back to the reality that the Christian life is a cross-shaped life. And in that moment, Lord, remind us of the freedom we have in you. The courage we have in you. The presence of your goodness and purposes, despite all these things that we encounter. Empower us. Live in us. And Lord, help us come to you, the good soil each and every day as we live, work, and play, and pray. It's in your name. Amen.
0: Well, we're going to wrap up today's podcast with a song written by Laura Marriott, Brandon Dempsey, and Holland Davis. Laura and I are in a monthly online songwriting group. She is a Christian recording artist and director of worship at her church in Palm Springs, California. Check out more of her music at YouTube and Spotify and her website. You can find those links on the podcast show notes for today. Well, I invited Laura to join us here on the podcast. And so, Laura, before we hear you sing, could you tell us about your song?
1: Sure, Kevin, I'd be happy to. My co-writers and I, we decided that we wanted to write a song that uh, people who
2: are suffering, who are going through very difficult times, could actually take and own and sing out to God trusting in God, trusting in his purposes, trusting that God would be constant in their lives, hear their
1: cries, and come to their rescue. We wrote it when there were fires in Napa Valley and floods in Dallas, Texas, and people were just not sure what to do
2: and very anxious. And they lost everything. Lives were lost. And uh, there was just a lot of anxiety in the world. And so
1: we wanted to bring hope through this song.